0: Hello, and welcome to Science Matters, the podcast of the Georgia Tech College of Sciences. I'm Renee San Miguel. Take a deep breath. Fill your lungs with oxygen, that gas which guarantees life as we know it on planet Earth. Go ahead, breathe it in, unless there's a code orange air quality alert in effect. But if not, feel free to inhale, while I tell you that oxygen is a relatively new addition to Earth's atmosphere. So says Chris Reinhardt assistant professor in the School of Earth and Atmospheric Sciences. He researches the early Earth and potential Earths outside our solar system.
1: The Earth has only had the amount of oxygen or sort of roughly the amount of oxygen that it has now for something like 10% of its history, wow. um, maybe less. And there's, there's some evidence to suggest that only for the last 10% or so of Earth's 4.5 billion year history would you ever be able to, to see this oxygen, even though it was being produced by the biosphere maybe going back 3 billion years.
0: Yeah. So that's a little scary to me um, and and to others as well. Scary? Reinhard later says sobering might be a better word, but you may still wonder. Why is it sobering that oxygen on Earth is a recent phenomenon? Because it suggests there's much more to learn about the planet's ability to maintain that oxygen. Also, when Reinhard talks about being able to see oxygen, he's talking about detecting it. So why is the fact that it may not have been detectable a concern? because it may mean that we could zoom right past another potential Earth with our fancy space probes and not know if life is there. To find out more, Reinhardt looks to the heavens, specifically recently discovered exoplanets, which are planets like ours outside the solar system. What he's searching for are atmospheric biosignatures, molecules detectable in an atmosphere that may indicate life on the surface. Reinhardt and his research team at his Earth System Science Lab conduct the interstellar part of this search using ground-based and space telescopes. That's why he's excited about the 2021 launch of the James Webb Space Telescope, representing the next generation of orbiting observatories. Reinhardt also casts his research net within our own atmosphere. He applies theoretical methods, relying on elaborate modeling software in powerful computers, as well as advances in analytical geochemistry to discover how Earth evolved as a planet that sustains life. Speaking of exoplanets that might harbor life, one of the most recent and biggest exoplanet discoveries was announced in September 2017. Here's Thomas Zerbuchen, Associate Director of NASA's Science Mission Directorate. There are actually seven Earth-sized planets orbiting the nearby Trappist-1 star about 40 light years away. What's more, as you can see in this illustration, is that three of these planets, marked in green, are in the habitable zone where liquid water can pool on the surface. In fact, with the right atmospheric conditions, there could be water on any of these uh, planets. First of all, don't you love how scientists think 40 light years from Earth, which is trillions and trillions in actual miles, classifies as nearby? But in the vastness of space, it is kind of in the neighborhood. Reinhardt argues that those planets may indeed have promising atmospheric conditions, but we might not know about it. That's why it is sobering that for 90% of Earth's history as an inhabited planet, oxygen may have been undetectable. If this turns out to be true elsewhere in the cosmos, then it's possible that exoplanets that have all the right stuff to produce and accumulate oxygen in theory only do so for small portions of their evolutionary history, or never manage to do it at all. All this is because oxygen basically just showed up in Earth's atmosphere only recently, relatively speaking. And if that's the case, given the evidence of climate change, could it leave just as quickly? Reinhardt and his team won a NASA grant in 2018 to come up with a model for the kind of atmosphere Earth had 4 billion years ago. That will help the space agency determine what kinds of instruments they should put in future deep space probes. In the process, Reinhardt is looking at so-called anoxic worlds, where oxygen would be extremely limited.
1: There are a couple of questions embedded here. and so One of them is, you know, the Earth gives us an example of a planet on which you can have oxygenic photosynthesis for billions of years, but not accumulate oxygen in the atmosphere to levels that would be detectable. Um, so this is what we sort of refer to as a, as a false negative yeah um, And so the question is how does one deal with that Th- there's a there's a somewhat deeper question which is um, how likely is oxygenic photosynthesis to evolve yeah. at all right So how common is this metabolism throughout the galaxy yeah. and, and the universe and this is this is an area that's under uh, a, a lot of a lot of argument. I mean there are some some folks who uh, who think that it's probably pretty common because it, it uses an electron donor for its metabolism water mm-hmm. that on habitable planets is going to be pretty ubiquitous so it's in some ways it's a very competitive strategy sure. on the other hand um, the the biochemistry of it is exceptionally complex yeah. um, it's not an easy thing to do um, in fact we you know we've been trying to sort of engineer it in the lab for decades and are you know have, have not been so great yeah, at it, it, it in many ways um, so, and so, you know, there's, there's a question as to, as to how widespread this would be, and I think one of the things we have to be thinking very hard about is uh, robust signatures of life on planets that either have not evolved oxygenic photosynthesis at all, mm-hmm. or it has evolved, but it hasn't oxygenated the atmosphere. Um, and so the question is, you know, what are uh, good atmospheric biosignatures on planets that have, that don't have oxygen in yeah. the atmosphere? And, well, and also just sort of, you know, are there... Other biosignature gases, you know, for example, methane, yeah. that we might be able to use, that are uh, that are just as compelling. Are there other gases that, on anoxic worlds, would be just as convincing as oxygen is on the Earth? Okay. Um, that's sort of the motivating question um, behind the behind the grant. So, any luck so far in finding a planet that has more similarities than differences with Earth? We keep getting closer and closer to finding that sort of Earth 2.0. In recent years, we've we've come up. Uh, I say by we, I mean a, a sort of large community of people. Yeah. Um, have have found um, you know something on the order of a dozen or so planets that are getting closer and closer to to sort of Earth-like. Gotcha. Um, but one needs to be very careful when they use the term Earth-like because that can mean um, that can mean a lot of different things. So even amongst these Earth-like planets, there's really only one that I know of that's really like sort of Earth 2.0 as far as we can tell. Kepler-452b sits right in the habitable zone, what we call the Goldilocks zone. Not too warm, not too cold, not too bright, not too dark. Just right for life. And when scientists factor in the light from Kepler-452, it becomes clear that this is the most Earth-like world humanity has
0: ever discovered. That is from a Science Channel documentary on Kepler-452b, Discovered in 2015, it's 1,400 light years away, so it would take 26 million years to get there using the fastest space probes.
1: It's some, something like 40 percent larger than the Earth is, but sure. it's you know it's it's pretty close in terms of size. There are indications that it's made of similar stuff, so it's rocky and potentially has an atmosphere and oceans and that kind of thing. Yeah.
0: A certain distance between a planet and a star may be in the so-called Goldilocks zone, but Goldilocks left a mess in the bear's dining room and the bedroom. She was essentially the Airbnb guest from hell. Humanity is leaving its own mess when it comes to Earth's climate, but that distance between here and the sun plays a role as well, as it does on exoplanets.
1: Climate is, is a is, is a key characteristic of a overall planetary system mm-hmm. and so it's something that controls other aspects of how the planet works and it interacts with uh other aspects of how the planet works and the 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 star that the planet is around mm-hmm. and all of these things you can t- take a step further back in some respects and, and think about things like how is the star evolving over time yeah. so we get a particular amount of energy from our star mm-hmm. right now and that's a a fundamental boundary condition on our climate and mm-hmm. sort of the in some ways the uh, our climate system is the surface of our planet trying to sort of dissipate the energy that we get from our star, and like, sure. how does that propagate through the system? Yeah, that's what climate
0: is. Right? And so the age of the star plays into is a tremendous. Yeah, it's a tremendously
1: important right. So if, if you go back to the sort of beginning of our solar system, our star was giving off something like thirty percent less energy mm-hmm. than it is now, um, and all other things being equal, that makes a huge difference in climate. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, you know, similarly, as we sort of project into the future, our star, as it as it burns more and more of its fuel, is going to progressively give off more and more energy, mm-hmm. and so uh, temperatures at the surface of the Earth, all other things being equal, are going to start to increase. Yeah. Um, and at a certain point, this can become a kind of catastrophic runaway within within the climate.
0: This past July was the hottest month on record, according to a report released Thursday by the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. Above average temperatures blasted. 17 contiguous U.S. states, the state of Alaska.
1: You know what is uh, what is the Earth's biosphere going to look like 500 million years from now, a billion years from now? Um, and in particular, we're very interested in the question: um, What are some of the other features of Earth's atmosphere that that provide hints that? Um, there's life on Earth. So if you were to observe Earth with a telescope from yeah. light years away and ask the question, "Is there life on this planet?" You'd only have fragments of information to work from. And yeah. so one of the things you would see, for example, is that our atmosphere is 20% oxygen. And uh, you know, for for most folks, that's a really strong indicator that there's life at the surface of the planet. Mm-hmm. Um, and so one of the qu- questions we're really interested in is, you know, how how much longer is this going to be the case? Yeah. Um, because our our current atmospheric chemistry is actually a pretty recent phenomenon. And so the question is, you know, is this going to last for another couple hundred million years or yeah. is it going to be a couple billion years? And this starts to feed back on sort of how long we can expect planets that are inhabited like the Earth to have these signatures for long periods of time and how long can we really expect them uh, to, to have these biosignatures that we might be able to detect. Because gotcha. we're only going to be looking at these things for the blink of an eye, right? And so mm. we want to try and... Um, increase the statistical likelihood that we're actually going to detect something. And so we want to try and look for signals that are uh, uh, can, can persist on planets for very long periods
0: of time. What about planets that aren't in the habitable zones or give the impression they're frozen? Once again, something that may have happened in Earth's infancy may be going on among exoplanets. That possibility was first explored by one of our planet's best-known scientists. We're going to explore the cosmos in a ship of the imagination. It will carry us. Famed astronomer and astrobiologist Carl Sagan, who helped bring science to a mass audience with his successful 1980 PBS series, Cosmos, came up with what he called the faint young sun paradox. Remember what Reinhard said earlier about climate and the energy given off by our sun during Earth's infancy? In the early 1970s, Sagan and a colleague at Cornell University suggested that the Earth should have been frozen during a given time in its development. But it wasn't, as suggested by sedimentary and other data. So, what happened?
1: This idea of a faint young sun paradox comes from the notion that if you were to take the the modern Earth and the way that its climate system works, so the amount of CO2 in the atmosphere, the amount of methane in the atmosphere, Um, and you were to sort of dial the sun back, uh, you know, three billion years or so, the amount of energy that's giving off drops something like 20, 25, 30%, depending Mm -hmm. on how far back you go. If you go all the way back to the beginning, you're talking about almost a 30% drop in the the, uh, initial amount of energy that the planet's getting. So if, if you take the modern Earth's greenhouse effect, and you dial it back in time, you freeze the Earth over. But we know from the rock record that the Earth wasn't frozen no. over back then. And so this is actually a really basic argument for uh, the, the fact that the Earth's atmospheric chemistry has changed really dramatically over time, because mm-hmm. there's no other way that you can reconcile this. Yeah. And so Carl Sagan um, uh, and, and a colleague in a, in, a, in a paper, Sagan and Mullen, that published I think in 1971, mm-hmm. suggested that well, um, you know, perhaps uh, there are other greenhouse gases that might be important here. So if you don't have a lot of oxygen in the atmosphere, for example, you might build up uh, ammonia mm-hmm. or methane, yeah, methane or or perhaps even hydrogen. Um, some of these, these gases that are very unstable in the modern atmosphere yeah. but are exceptionally powerful greenhouse gases. Um, you might use these to sort of warm uh, the early Earth. Okay. And, and if
0: those don't happen, the early Earth doesn't... I mean, maybe it stays frozen. I, perhaps. Just the idea that 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 kind of, uh, I don't know, uh, quirk mm. in, in the history, in the development of the Earth yeah. uh, could result in life, could, could have you know, helped to, to get life going on, on the planet. And that maybe, maybe that's repeating itself in other planets. Sure, absolutely, yeah. Reinhardt says he has a lot to look forward to over the next five years in his research. More scientists from different disciplines will join forces, he says, to share more data on the search for life elsewhere and more insight into life's beginnings on Earth.
1: One of the things that um, I'm, I'm really excited for in the near term is um, better uh, uh, quantitative models for what regulates um, Uh, biosignature uh, gases in the atmospheres of planets that are like the Earth, um, or even not so much like the Earth. Mm -hmm. Um, And so developments in in models that actually couple together um, planetary oceans and planetary atmospheres explicitly and in ways that are much more robust. I mean, I think we're going to, just in the next few years, I think as a community we're going to make really significant strides in that area. Um, there's, there's, has been, in very recent years, and I think is building, um, and in the next you know four or five years is going to be really exciting, much more crosstalk between people who are trying to constrain planetary interiors and how they evolve over time, yeah. how do things like volcanic outgassing work, and people like me who think a lot about how ocean oceans work and how yeah. ocean biospheres modulate these signals, and then people who work on atmospheres, and then above that, people who work on observations, and all of us sort of... Uh, piping together yeah. um, to come up with a kind of integrated view for how planets work and what sort of signals we might want to look for. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in the next few years the advances are going to be really, really exciting.
0: My thanks to Chris Reinhardt, Assistant Professor in the School of Earth and Atmospheric Sciences, for the tour of Earth's early years and the possible sister planets outside the solar system. His lab's website is at reinhard.gatech.edu, reinhard.gatech.edu. Our thanks also to NASA, Discovery Channel, A&E Networks, and PBS for the use of TV clips. Cyan Joe, a former research associate in the School of Psychology, composed our theme music. If you liked this episode of Science Matters, please consider subscribing. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud. This is Science Matters, the podcast of the Georgia Tech College of Sciences. I'm Renee San Miguel. Thank you for listening.